0: Hello, my name is Tendai Chitewede and I'm a visiting professor in the Department of Inclusive Education at the University of Potsdam in Germany. I would like to see more support structures from institutions in our schools that provide support for students of color and students with migration backgrounds, so that the small things that start to accumulate and plant seeds of doubt can be removed as quickly as possible.
1: of the Researching Diversity podcast. I am Charlene Povetsch and I am a PhD student in the Inclusive Education Department at the University of Potsdam. And I'm Miriam Schwarzenthal
2: and I'm a postdoc in the same team and we will be your hosts for this episode. So for our
1: listeners, what can you expect in this episode?
2: Uh, We talked with Tendai about uh, proactive inclusion in environmental and educational institutions. And related to this topic, we actually also talked about the importance of mentoring and of creating an environment for valuing racial and ethnic diversity.
1: And Miriam, what did you like the
2: most about this episode with Tendai? I think what I really liked is that Tendai really adds a different perspective and expertise to our podcast. And most of us are doing research in the field of psychology and education, but she works in the field of geography and environment. And I think
1: that was really new and also very interesting to me. And what about you? What did you like the most? Oh, I do agree. So I think that on the one hand, I appreciated the perspective she's sharing, particularly on the side of the research field she's working in. And regarding the article she brought, the whole concept of environmental justice was new to me actually. And on the other hand, I want to add that I highly value her perceptions and her experiences as a black female researcher. So I think that her expertise on mentoring And the representation of educators of color are highly relatable to researchers of color and scholars of color.
2: As always, you can find the references to the studies that we mentioned in the episode on our website.
1: All right, let's start with the episode. Welcome, Tendai, and thanks for being with us today. As in every episode, we will start talking about the past. All three of us are part of the same research group in the department of inclusive education. And of course we will talk about several different topics today, but maybe let's start with a general question on why you became interested in the topic of inclusion, Tendai.
0: Yes, so um, that's a good question. I've always been interested in inclusion and I've always been interested in um, social justice. And although my career started out in environment and environmentalism and environmental sustainability, there was a lot of overlap uh, and a lot of common themes between how we address environmental problems and how we address social problems. And inclusion is important to both of those topics. So in my early work on environmentalism and environmental sustainability, I discovered that well-meaning people who are trying to solve very important problems were not inclusive. And some of the problems we have difficulty solving relate to our inability to recognize other people and other types of problems and experiences that go beyond our own our own um, experience. So uh, if we don't have the experience of um, being in a particular climate, or having a particular social economic status, or having a different cultural heritage, we may not understand the solutions that are needed to solve problems in those particular communities, in those particular spaces. So, um, inclusion is important to solve problems, to solve complex problems.
1: Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you became a researcher?
0: Yes, so since I was a kid, I've always loved science. I've always loved discovering new things. I've been a very curious child. I was a very curious child. I spent a lot of time asking why questions. So if you can think of the child in your life who's always asking why, 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 that was me when I was a kid. And I enjoyed doing experiments informally at first. But um, when I was in school, I enjoyed science classes and I enjoyed uh, discovering new, new, um, new solutions and new ideas. Um, and then, so I started out uh, studying hydrology and ag engineering and um, water resources and I discovered that although I really enjoyed the science and I really enjoyed um, sort of being in the ground and wading in, in ponds and rivers, A lot of the problems that we face uh, as a society relate to people and human behavior. So a lot of the problems that exist relate to how we as individuals attempt to control nature, control other people, how we uh, attempt to hold on to power. Uh, The the structures that support inequality um, are often at some of the, pro- the the roots of the problems that we face as a society, and so in order to solve environmental problems, it was important for me to understand human beings and human behavior, and so that's how I came to um, study sustainable communities, and um, how I'm now applying some of the skills from that study to looking at the, the experience of teachers of color and teachers of migration background um, in Germany.
2: And uh, like doing your path of getting into research, would you say that along the way you had specific role models or like what encouraged you to actually go into academia or how did you actually manage to end up being a researcher? Yeah,
0: that's a, that's another good question. Um, so on the issue of role models, absolutely. So it was really important to me um, that it was really important to, for my career that I found or I was found by colleagues and professors who cared about what I was doing, who noticed that I was curious, who cared that I wanted to spend time um, asking questions and that I was in- inquisitive. Um, I think it's very easy to, to be overlooked. I think there were times in my, in my schooling where I felt invisible, and so it was, this, it was the individual professors who, who noticed and reached out and said, Hey, Tendai, I noticed that you're interested in this. Would you like to consider something, you know, some additional readings or some additional um, projects? And, and that made a difference. So there are individuals in my life who, who really uh, made a difference and encouraged me to ask the kinds of questions that I cared about. Um, So that was really helpful and and very important. Um, I have a lot of things that I care about and that I'm curious about. And so this allowed me to, uh, this flexibility allowed me to identify um, areas that were not necessarily heavily examined. Uh, At at the time that I did my my original eco-village research, there were very few studies uh, in these particular communities. And there were no studies where people were asking questions about whether these eco-villages were even viable. And so, having mentors who encouraged me to ask these kinds of tough questions, and um, you know, just having the space to explore unexplored topics, I think was 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 really exciting for me.
1: What I really appreciate is the thought you shared with us. On the importance of being seen and being heard. I think that's super important and so interesting and I want to connect on that or connect to that. Have there been challenges too along the way on becoming a researcher on the one hand and also as a scientist of color and academia in general on the other hand?
0: Yes, that's an excellent question and it's, it's incredibly relevant and it's one of the questions that I'm exploring in my current study in Berlin um, and Potsdam. Yes, um, when I was an undergraduate student, I was the only black student in my major and I may have been the only black student to graduate from that program at the time that I was, that I was studying. Uh, so it's very isolating, very lonely, and, and it made me question whether I belonged there. If nobody else is there and you're the only one, you start to look around and say, I don't know, <laughs> is this the right place? Um, and so I often, I recall sort of these, d- these doubts that crept into my mind often whether uh, that was the right place for me. and. Uh, my love for science and my my love for for the work I was doing uh, helped me persist. But the support that I got from professors and my colleagues was really important. It allowed me to to stay and to persist despite um, some of the, the the messages I got. Um, yes, I I did think that as I got further and further into my career, I would experience fewer incidences of racism and feelings of exclusion. But that did not necessarily go away magically. It took different forms. And I think it's still, it's still a challenge. There's so few of us that I think people, still see it as a novelty. I have students in my classes who tell me that I'm the first black teacher they've ever had, the first black professor they've ever had and I think that's unfortunate. I think um, it hurts, it hurts all of us, it hurts the students certainly, they don't get a lot of different perspectives from culturally and through experience and through the lens through which we ask questions based on our our experiences and our interests, uh, it certainly hurts the profession in terms of who's asking the questions, the research questions, who's uh, curious about certain problems and solutions. Um, and I can say that my, my personal experience of feeling excluded has driven me and motivated me to examine how we can create more inclusive spaces in both the teaching profession and the environmental science profession.
2: Actually brings us already also to our next section, the present, because I think the study you selected actually picks up a lot of these uh, issues that you just mentioned, like issue of inequity, of representation, so uh, can you tell us which paper you brought today to discuss?
0: The paper is by Dorsetta Taylor and her colleagues. It's a 2019 uh, publication and it's called Diversity, Equity and Inclusion and the Salience of Publicly Disclosing Demographic Data in American environmental nonprofits, and it's in the journal Sustainability.
1: Can you share with us why this paper is an outstanding one for those of us who have not read it yet?
0: Yeah, I think this paper is outstanding because it often, it, it talks about some of the structural problems we face when we think about inclusion. So, Dossetta Taylor has spent the last several uh, years looking at institute, environmental institutions, environmental nonprofit organizations, um, and really looking at the, the composition of leadership in those organizations. So back in the 90s, environmental justice organizations, made up primarily of uh, people of color, Confronted the Big Ten environmental organizations and said that those organizations were excluding issues related to social and environmental justice. And so, since the 90s, there's been heightened interest in um, understanding these institutions that have historically been uh, white and male led. And so despite decades of understanding structural racism and structural inequality, we still see through this paper, through the data this paper collected, we still see that environmental organizations, environmental nonprofits um, lag behind in, in um, diversity and representation. This particular article, I think, is innovative uh, and creative, which is one, one thing I like about Dr. Taylor's work. She's getting at the problem of inclusion indirectly by looking at organizations that decide to reveal the demographic, the demographic makeup of their organization. She's asking which nonprofit organizations reveal the race and ethnicity and the gender of their employees, but also of their board members. So why is this important? I think the study is important, first of all, because it it presents a large amount of data. Um, But it's important because it helps us jumpstart the question about inclusion. What does it mean to be inclusive? It's one thing to say, yes, we support inclusion, yes, we support social justice. But are you doing things, are you actively doing things to be inclusive, are you actively reaching out and hiring um, a more inclusive uh, uh, population? Are you, or or staff members, are you actively uh, inviting people of color to be on your boards? Um, And I think this is really important. I think this, this has implications for other disciplines and other fields. If we say that we care about inclusion in education, what are the things that we're doing to actually meet that goal. And collecting data, baseline data, on where we are so that we understand the degree of the problem is really important so that we can build on it. Um, if all the board members are are not representative of the community, then, then that presents a leadership gap. Uh, so I think that the paper really gets us to think differently about how we measure and how we value inclusion.
2: And in the paper, I remember reading that I think only 2.1% of these organizations actually uh, reported data around race and ethnicity. And that's a very, very small number. So I was actually also a bit astonished to uh, read that. And why do you think uh, this number is still so, so low, even though for years now, people have advocated that it's important to assess this type of data?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And the paper doesn't get into why these organizations choose to report or not. Um, but I, I certainly my, my thought is revealing your demographic information could be a point of pride to say, you know, we are moving in this direction. We are moving towards a more equitable staff and a more equitable board. So uh, that's a positive thing. So not including it makes me wonder whether it doesn't exist. Um, and, and maybe um, this article pushes some of these organizations to really take a serious look at the structure, uh, uh, the structure of their organization. Since I'm in Germany now, I. I've been impressed with the with the determination to pursue gender equity. And this motivation for at the at the highest level, at the federal level, for addressing gender inequality comes from data. Comes from the data data that's available on gender inequality in, in salaries, in pensions, um, in representation, and it's through that kind of data that we can say there's something wrong that we need to remedy. And so the same thing goes for um, environmental organizations or for uh, the teaching profession. Once we have a, a once we can see the data that shows vast inequalities, we can start to solve the problem. And I think that this paper moves us in that direction. In a in a Innovative uh, and creative way. Uh, I like that Dorsetta Taylor. Um, I, I find her to be very bold. She speaks truth to power. You know, she's really asking questions of structural inequality uh, and looking at, at at large structures that have vast influence over many other uh, areas in our society. So I appreciate the the, the innovative questions, and I appreciate the. Um, yeah, the speaking truth to power of of this work.
1: I would like to connect that with a specific approach or theory which is named environmental justice. That framework of environmental justice was new to me actually as I'm coming from a different field. Mm -hmm. So what is environmental justice? Mm -hmm. And maybe also how can that be achieved? Can you somehow Mm -hmm. connect that to the paper you shared with us today?
0: Environmental justice is... defines the environment broadly, and often using Dana Alston's uh, definition of the environment as a place where we work, live, and play. And environmental justice is the theory that everybody, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, migration background, that everybody has the right to a safe and healthful environment in where they live, where they work, and where they go to school, where they play, where they worship. And environmental justice is the counter position to environmental racism. And environmental racism is the reality that people of color and low income families live near polluting industries. So if you were to think about your community, think about your city, and think about where the landfills are, think about where the polluting industries are, where the major transportation hubs are. Those are in areas, those are mostly in areas where people of color live, or poor people live. And environmental justice says that is fundamentally unjust and needs to change. So environmental justice scholars have argued that um, the laws, and the policies that protect people from pollution and environmental harm need to be enforced in all communities. So that the laws preventing illegal dumping, I'm working on a paper right now on illegal dumping and we see that in parts of California, illegal dumping laws are not enforced in East Palo Alto, in in poor communities and in communities of color, Uh, whereas illegal dumping is enforced in other predominantly white communities. So um, uh, the work of this paper and the work uh, of many environmental justice scholars uh, is to recognize that equity and inclusion is related to how fairly people's lives are affected by environmental harms like toxins and cancer-causing pollutants, as well as the lack of environmental amenities like parks, green spaces, gardens, uh, etc.
1: We may have talked about this before, at least a little. So I want to know, how is this paper also addressing intersectionality? I think that this is important because intersectionality is highly relevant, but also because of the examples you shared with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so as a woman of color, intersectionality is incredibly helpful. It's been, it's been a very helpful concept for people to, to start to grasp because one cannot separate their gender and their race and their social class, and so you have these experiences that collide and create uh, very specific kinds of social inequality uh, and social injustice. Um, so in this paper, I, I think one of the things that it tells us is that um, women CEOs that are female tend to present data on their ethnicity and the race of their employees. Um, environmental justice groups tended to provide, overwhelmingly, provide data on the gender and ethnicity of their employees and their board members. That. Um, I think who we are and the experiences we have has helped us bring questions around inclusion to the top of the of, of the agenda. And so if we have more women as CEOs, if we have more people of, of color as CEOs, we start to see that issues of inclusion start to become start to come to the surface and start to become discussed. Um, at, at higher levels. There's, there are other studies that show that when you have people of color on search committees for example, then the applicant pool and the potential candidates for a position start to become more diverse. Um, whereas if you only have um, one particular ethnicity, um, if you only have white male on a search committee, you, you tend to see a lot less diversity uh, being considered. So it matters. It matters not just from an equity perspective, but um, inclusion matters uh, both from an equity perspective, but also from um, the perspective of addressing problems, solving real, real problems, problems that, that, that are found in the social and environmental fields.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's also a lot of research showing that more diverse teams also tend to be more innovative, right? Like to be sometimes better at problem solving. So that's also a good argument for actually increasing diversity in organizations.
0: That's right. The problems that we face as a society are tremendous. And they're going to take a lot of um, innovative solutions. They're going to take new ideas. And they're going to take experiences that people can bring to the table. They're going to take. Uh, it's going to take uh, really a global effort to solve these global problems. And any organization, whether it's government or nonprofit, needs to recognize that we are, in fact, stronger and we are more innovative the more diverse we are. And it's more fun, right? There are studies, like you said, that it's more fun to work in diverse groups um, and it's motivating to be around um, people that have different experiences and can contribute differently to to solving problems. This is the wave of the future.
1: I would like to connect that to your current work and the study you're working on. So, Mm. and, And I think you have also mentioned your mentor in the beginning, so how important are Role models, our mentors, are maybe teachers as mentors, and mm-hmm. can you connect that to your own research? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so uh, I I think mentors and teachers are really important. Um, I think mentoring is one of the primary roles that I have as an educator uh, is to support my students in their own in their development of their own ideas. I think as teachers, we have a very important role. In society because we show our students what is possible for them. What is possible, how they are part, how they contribute to the larger problems that we're facing, how their learning is part of a collective um, understanding of problems and a collective effort to solve some of those problems. So I think I take mentoring very seriously as a teacher um, and I recognize that in my, own, in my own learning, my mentors played a very important role for me. Um, in fact, it's one of the uh, bits of advice that I have for, for current students is to find a mentor, to find a teacher who supports you and the work that you're interested in doing. This is, this is really important. In my current study of teachers of color and teachers with a migration background in Germany, in Berlin and Potsdam, um, almost all of the participants so far have expressed the role of one or two individuals who helped them persist in their careers and I think this is really powerful um, that for for teachers of color and teachers with, my, teachers with migration background having, having a mentor or a role model who could show them what their potential what their potential is, made a difference for them. And it, it helped them choose the right path or a path that was right for them. And um, I, think, I think that's important. I, I, at the same time, I think that we need to have a system in place so that teachers who are harmful to s- s- students of color or students with migration background are somehow held accountable, that we don't um, We don't expose our young young scholars and young students to harmful experiences in the classroom that can make them question their self-worth, make make them question their value to society. So I think we need to have strong mentors and I want to encourage all those mentors out there that that it's working and students really uh, value this in small and large ways. uh, but I also think it's important that we recognize that some teachers can cause harm in the classroom, and so we need to be able to to address that when it when it happens. Um, I think sometimes people think mentoring requires vast amounts of time and vast amounts of resources and money, but my experience is that it doesn't necessarily require a lot of time or money. Uh, being a mentor can be as simple as complimenting one of your students who's doing a good job and just let them know that. If, a student, if one of your students got a good grade on an exam, tell them. Um, or if they didn't get a good grade, let them know that you care and, and, and offer help and offer um, to support them. I think uh, if a student has sort of started to draw back from the classroom, I think that a teacher who approaches them and says, hey, I noticed you, you haven't been speaking up as much in class anymore. Are you okay? I think these kind of small acts can go a long way in making us feel uh, that we belong, that we're not invisible. And I think this applies in the classroom, but it also applies throughout our lives that, um, that we show that we care. And I think in both of my both of my professions, in my, in, my, in my work on environmentalism and in my work on well, social and environmental justice, I think one of the central issues in both of those areas is, is caring, is, is empathy, is recognizing that we need to address our environmental problems because real people and real lives are at stake if we don't. And same thing with social problems. I think we need to affect social change because there are real people and real lives who are affected by that. And um, so I think I, it's important for me to remember that caring is, is really important for, for solving some of the problems that we face.
2: Yeah, I think this actually already brings us really nicely uh, also into our next section the future because a lot of the issues you just mentioned um, are also already things probably maybe that you would like to also change in the future so what changes would you like to see uh, first of all uh, regarding research on your topic so this topic of environmental justice or also of in general proactive inclusion in education or in other fields?
0: I think it's important that we ask difficult questions, uncomfortable questions. I think that what I like about Dorsetta Taylor's work is that she's asking difficult questions. Questions that might make us feel uncomfortable. Questions about exclusion. Um, I think questions that challenge the status quo. Um, so that we're not, we're not just focusing on um, why people, are homeless? That's an important question, and we need to address that. But I think we can also ask ourselves, what are the structures that enable homelessness to persist? I think it's important to ask why certain groups of teachers leave the profession early. But I think we also need to ask ourselves, what are the structures in place that prevent teachers from staying in their profession and thriving. I think we need to 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 consider the the structures that enable structural racism to persist. The structures that enable structural inequality to persist. I think I think we need to start chipping away at those particular questions and not give them sort of a a, a blank check around, you know, not having responsibility for the inequalities that exist Um, i think i think um, if we believe in inclusion then we need to look at what our elected officials are doing to support that actively we need to look at um, how governments support or inhibit inclusion Um, where are our tax dollars being spent around supporting those particular values, uh, etc. Um, so I, I think I would like to see scholarship that that asks uh, the uncomfortable questions, that starts to get at the viability of structures that we tend to take for granted uh, and, and start to look at that. I, I also hope that we that we are more inclusive, that we proactively think about how to be inclusive. It's one thing to say that we support social justice. It's another to actually actively think about what we can do. It's not going to happen by itself. There has to be the drive to do this, and it has to happen at the individual level and at the institution level. Um, So, for example, one thing that i'd like to see more of in the future is i would like to see more support structures from institutions in our schools that provide support for students of color and students with migration backgrounds so that if a student is feeling insecure or has has a negative experience is being bullied that there's a place for those students to go and 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 some kind of remedy to happen so that um the small things that start to accumulate and plant seeds of doubt can be, can be um, removed as quickly as possible. And, and that applies not just at the school level, but I think also at the, um, you know, in the workforce as well. I think we need to see more proactive measures for inclusion and more protective factors when people feel excluded or or uh, discriminated against.
1: You've shared some of your thoughts on the value that lies in diverse teams and that lies in being surrounded by people with different perspectives and I want to go a little more into detail there and ask for your opinion on embracing diversity. How can we embrace diversity and I mean not on a superficial level but I mean, on how can we embrace diversity for real?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's important to embrace diversity for real. Um, and I, I think the way to get there is to start to surround, to surround oneself with people and experiences that are different than the ones that you've had. Um, I think one could start reading books by authors of color. One could start um, paying attention to opinion pieces by people of color. Uh, one could start to think about who you sit next to on, uh, in your in your class or on the train. Just little things that bring us physically closer together, I think, can make can make a tremendous difference. Um, who who are our friends and and how do we relate to um, to people of color? How how do we create inclusion within our own social circles? Yeah, um, I think I think there's a danger in talking about inclusion and diversity in a theoretical sense, but then having it all fall apart when we go home. So um, I think that. Uh, yeah, finding ways to, to get to know the person of color in your in your office or the person of color at your school or the parents of the children um, uh, in your school, I, I think it takes it takes a proactive step um, in, in, in reaching out to people who are different from us, uh, whether it's by race, ethnicity or socioeconomic status or um, you know, uh, national origin. I, th- I think making a personal effort to reach out to people who are different is really important. Not only that, it's fun. It's fun. My gosh. I mean, you know, we see people really enjoy eating um, different types of foods. They enjoy going traveling and visiting different parts of the world. Um, we're more alike than we are different. Visibly, we might. We might look differently, but we share a lot in common. And I think, um, I have a diverse group of friends and I have a very very diverse family and it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, And I learn a lot all the time. I can't take things for granted, um, but as a result, it's been a very positive, positive experiences. And I know others who had positive experiences um, you know being in diverse environments, so I think I think we need to to celebrate that and embrace it. You used words like uncomfortable, encourage,
1: innovative, challenging status quo, so I wanted to ask you. Do you, do we need courage to do what Cecilia Taylor does, does what you do, what we do, mm. with who we are and what we want to become in academia and school and society? So I'm thinking yeah. a lot about pushing boundaries on different levels.
0: Yeah. But yeah, that's a really good question. The courage, I think, that I'm, that I'm thinking of relates to not being inhibited to ask those kinds of questions so i think that there there can sometimes be these nagging questions about whether or not our contributions are valuable or whether or not the questions we're asking make sense or if there's a place for them and i think i think it's important that we find people who support the work we're doing so that we can freely ask our questions and not feel inhibited by what others might think or what others are doing, that we feel empowered to ask the kinds of questions um, that we have. I think the more, the more we see people like us asking tough questions or engaged in, in, in certain fields, the more empowered we feel the more we we say, yes, I can do that because there's somebody who looks like me doing that. And it's not that you somehow get an extra set of ideas. It's that the ideas that you have in yourself are able to come out and be be presented. So I think um, having, being validated in the kinds of questions that you have in, the innovative things that you're thinking about that you don't see in the literature, that you don't see at conferences, I think is really important. And I think mentors can help students see that their ideas, while different than the status quo, are really what's needed. Um, And this this is what I think is important about diversity, is that people bring very different questions to the table based on their lived experience based on their personal interests uh, and based on the kinds of things they think are important. Um, We often think of our work as purely objective, but the very questions we ask in research are tinged with our personal biases, right? We ask one set of questions and not another. Well, how did we choose that difference, right? There are all kinds of things that go into the kinds of questions that we ask, and so by having Uh, a more diverse group of researchers, we start to see different kinds of questions come to the table. We start to see different kinds of issues come to the surface, Um, different kinds of questions, different kinds of uh, research uh, uh, proposals. uh, And I think this is the value that inclusion has, that we really start to see different ways of, of, of thinking about the world. From these different perspectives and, and that's exciting it's exciting because who doesn't like to read you know an innovative study that takes a different approach to to solving a problem
2: so one final question how do you stay motivated in your job as a researcher
0: mm, yeah that's a good question and i thought about this a little bit because i read it ahead of time um, you know i i, I think honestly Sometimes it's very hard to be a person of color in academia. Um, And it's very hard to persist. And it feels that it feels like there are a lot of moments. there have been a lot of moments in my own career where I felt that um, I would not continue. And And so this question of how I stay motivated, I think is really important, because I often feel that I can be swimming upstream and this is exhausting. Um, I do believe in my work and I do believe very strongly in the kinds of questions I'm asking and the value that this has to the conversation. And so um, just the process of being a person of color in academia, um, can feel like all the work <laughs> that could just be like all of work just existing at this in this condition. So staying motivated is really important, and I think I think one of the things that has kept me motivated is seeing a, a young generation of scholars excited to pursue their own careers, excited to ask their own sort of questions. This really motivates me that, that I can have a role in supporting junior scholars in, in their pursuits, that uh, I'm, I'm very motivated by the possibility that scholars who come after me won't have to deal with the kinds of challenges that that I have been faced with, and and my other colleagues have been faced with. So being able to affect change for the next generation of scholars is really important to me. Um, And so that keeps me motivated. Uh, I'm very motivated by the research that's coming out, by scholars who are asking innovative questions. Um, I'm always encouraged when I see more scholars of color, when I see that that the the um, that non people of color are also recognizing the need to to um, address inclusion, that people of color are becoming less invisible, and the challenges that we face are becoming less invisible, and this is motivating. That we are, I feel that we are moving in the right direction. It's it's a long struggle, but we're moving in the right direction and this this is motivating. Um, And then on a sort of practical, everyday sense, um, I think I'm motivated by my research. I, 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 I love what I do and I love, I do qualitative research. I like talking to people about their experiences. I'm motivated by, um, my social circle. I've got wonderful colleagues and wonderful friends especially here in Berlin and this is highly motivating and um, I also I, I go running and I love the parks and the running trails all over town and um, yeah so I so I think on a professional level supporting and mentoring junior scholars as they um, Pursue their careers, and using my experience as a way of trying to make it a little easier for them. And um, surrounding myself by uh, interesting literature and 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 research that's being done. Surrounding myself by supportive colleagues and friends is really is really motivating. And then on a personal level, um, yeah, I love to run and and breathe fresh air and and just clear my mind. Uh, in the tea Garden. We're glad that you did
1: continue and we want to thank you for your work and your engagement. Thank you for this wonderful, inspiring talk. And thank you for joining us today, Tendai. Thank you for having me. We
2: want to thank Minor Revisions for the Music, Lotte Koeman for Logo Design and Zeynep Alpay for Artwork. Make sure to visit our website for bonus materials and to follow us on social media at Researching Diversity Podcast. Stay
0: tuned and talk soon.